You're listening to the Passion and Perspective podcast brought to you by Sporting Chance Media and supported by the Western Weekender. For three decades, Penrith and the Blue Mountains have turned to the Western Weekender. Visit westernweekender.com.au or find your copy every Friday. Here is your host, Jonathan Robinson Lees. Naomi Fox grew up surrounded by adventure and a love for the outdoors. A transient upbringing, travelling between France and Australia, exposed Naomi to sport and the myriad of experiences that come with it. Naomi competes in canoe slalom. It is a humbling sport and one that challenges the athlete's resolve and resilience. It's these lessons, according to Naomi, that can be carried beyond the water and into everyday life. Currently living in Switzerland, Naomi manages to balance work, sport and postgraduate study. Naomi joins us virtually for the latest episode of the Passion and Perspective podcast. Naomi, welcome to the Passion and Perspective podcast. Hello, thank you for having me, Jono. Naomi, you're currently a university student. Uh, You're working overseas in Switzerland and you're balancing a, uh, a global sports career. How do you go about prioritizing your time day to day? (laughs) when you put it that way, it does make it sound um, a little bit more impressive than it is. Um, Time management, I guess it's something that you, I haven't nailed down just yet. It's still a a work in progress, Um, but I'm quite lucky to have been um, kind of brought into the the remote balancing career, um, professional career and sporting career from a very uh, early on age. So I um, would travel with my parents when I was in primary school and so I started doing remote schooling from that age and so kind of was introduced to learning how to manage your time effectively to get as much work done so you could spend the rest of the day outside playing or kayaking at that age as well. Um, So yeah, I guess from a very young age I had a notion of kind of managing my time to get as much schoolwork as I could and that really carried with me until high school. And even during the HSE, I think that was a pinnacle learning period for me because I still went overseas for two months and that was a quite, quite a busy schooling year. Um, and so, yeah, I think managing my time now is quite hard because I love saying yes to things. And then I realise that I get a little bit overwhelmed, um, but I'm still a sucker for the old school paper diary and that gets me through every single time and just prioritising things as well. So from starting from what's most important now, what really needs to be done today. And then um, also accepting that sometimes you can get back to people a little bit late has gotten me through (laughs) a lot of things in life. But yeah, I think um, starting from a really young age, having that notion of being efficient has really helped me kind of maximize and try to get a lot out of life and engagements as much as I can. And Naomi, in a world of, you know, multitasking, everyone's got so much just in their phones and technology. And I think there's a real push for people to kind of stay in the present moment and, you know, stay focused on what they're doing. Do you make a kind of deliberate effort in your days, whether it's work or competing to stay present and to stay grounded? Yeah, look, I, I struggle with that as well because I think starting your day without your phone and without looking at your phone is a really good way to start. Um, 
but I often, that's my gap to communicate with the other side of the world. And I have a lot of friends and family there. So I have a bad habit of starting every single day looking at my phone. Um, but for competitions, I, yeah, I love to disconnect and just have my Spotify open. And that's the only app that I engage in because, and even during the, um, the isolation period, I think being able to uh, disconnect was such a important thing because it's easy to kind of get lost in comparisons and um, just spend too much negative time on social media. So I think being aware of like when social media can be beneficial, when your phone can be beneficial and then when it kind of can't be is a really good instinct to have and to know when to disconnect. But I wouldn't recommend starting the day by looking at your phone, but it's a bad habit that I have at the moment being on the other side of the world. And do you notice a clarity in thought kind of on those days where you do start with your phone versus the days that maybe you don't? Do you, do you notice a, a substantial difference in those days? Yeah, I think so. Because when you start the day without your phone, you're just kind of engrossed in, in your thoughts and your objectives and your priorities and in your agenda. And you have a very clear understanding of, I guess, where you are and what you're doing and you're content with that. And then on other days when you start with your phone, you can easily be kind of like, oh, wow, they're traveling the world or they're, um, you know, they're doing this and this and I'm doing this. And you kind of just get a little bit sidetracked. And I guess I kind of get lost in comparison sometimes. But um, yeah, I think it depends, though. I try to just stick to looking at my phone for strict communication purposes and not for aimless scrolling but it is a it is a work in progress and maybe you were born in marseille in the south of france and as you mentioned quite a transient upbringing often on the move what was your childhood like i think i'm very very lucky to have the childhood that i had i um have i'm yet to experience a full winter i was um born in marseille france so in the south of france and then we moved to sydney um in 2000 or just a little bit before as my parents were involved in the sydney olympics and um yeah i would travel back every year in australian winter to spend time in marseille with my my family Naomi, with your upbringing, did you find you had more of a connection to Australia or France or did you kind of feel an attachment to both? Uh, that's a really good question because I've been thinking about it lately. Um, I think when I was younger, it was definitely a little more Australian because um, I loved the schooling system in Australia. I tried it in France and it was horrible. Um, in Australia, I don't know, it was just you know great friends so much freedom you finish at 3 p.m so many activities um and yeah it was great and so when i was young i loved saying that oh i'm also from france it was so cool to have the two cultures now today it's quite hard because you realize i'm connected to two different places in the world um i don't know where i want to settle like in a pandemic you realize i might not be able to travel as much as i normally do um so i think i'm always connected to the country i'm not in so right now i miss australia a little bit and then when i'm in france when i'm in australia i miss france but yeah i think i'm i'm not sure it's a bit of it's a bit of a mix and you mentioned kind of the activities you know after school and stuff was there an element of adventure and freedom to your childhood did you have that ability to kind of go out and explore and, and to learn for yourself 
Yeah, definitely. I Well, I mean, my parents would just leave my sister and I on a riverbank and we would, while they were training and coaching their athletes. So we grew up um, at the Whitewater Stadium down in Penrith. And then also we would spend a lot of time with them um, in Europe when they were doing the tours for the, um, the World Cups with their athletes. And so we would travel with them and um, we, my sister and I would just, you know, play and do our own thing and explore and um, yeah, I think it was a great child when, childhood when I think about those moments because we were just always, you know, running around and um, then eventually going down rivers all by ourselves and doing things like that. So a very outdoorsy childhood. And then even where we live now, um, at the foot of the Blue Mountains, like there are so many adventures to go on and like things to do there. So it's um, a very nature area to grow up in and to spend a lot of time after school. How important do you think that is, Naomi, for, for young girls and boys growing up to have, uh, it doesn't have to be structured activities, but just that opportunity to, to learn and grow through the great outdoors? Well, I mean, I think it's something that was so essential to my upbringing and to who I am today because I was really brought up in an area that was um, water and nature and it's really a part of who I am. Um, it teaches you a lot of resilience, I'd say, you know, getting bashed around either in the white water or in the bush. Um, but I think it's just, it gives you that aspect of freedom and just an area to kind of discover who you are, what you enjoy, testing different activities. That's what's great about Australia. When you finish at 3pm, you have so many opportunities to, um, you know, discover different activities after school and I think, yeah, it's something that's so incredible compared to maybe European countries where you finish school at 5 to 6 p.m. and then you live in an apartment and there's not much room to, you know, express yourself physically or to develop other kind of skills. And for me, sport was that outlet um, after school and during school, I could actually skip school to do competitions or to do, you know, the athletics carnival, swimming carnival, cross country, um, I don't know how many teams I joined, but yeah, it was, um, I don't know, it's such a, I would tell any kid to really get involved in sport because it's such a great opportunity to, to develop like that good outlet of energy and, and resilience and perseverance and things school can't teach you or, you know, your family might not be able to teach you either. Outside of your time on the river, as you said, you grew up with canoe slalom and kayaking. Was there any other sports that kind of drew your attention and interest? Yeah, so I did swimming. Uh, my sister and I both started in swimming and my mum only wanted to go at one time. So I had to jump up and join my sister's squad. Um, and so that was really hard. It was um, because I would always be, people would be like touching my feet when I was swimming and pushing me to go faster because I wasn't meant to be in that squad. Um, but it was, uh, that was a good base to develop for kayaking because we developed a lot of upper body strength. And then I really enjoyed acrobatics. I did a little bit of that until I didn't become, until staying that flexible was quite challenging. So then I stopped, um, acrobatics, but those were the two main sports. And then I never really trialed team sports. Um, but I think I would have liked to to try like basketball I was too short for that but <laughs> and looking back on your childhood Naomi is, is there kind of one lesson or, or attribute that you would kind of credit to your upbringing is you know you mentioned the resilience through sport is there anything else that you feel you took from your childhood 
Well, that's a, a deep question. I mean, I think I took so much. I would probably say, you know, one of the major ones was um, that multicultural perspective because I did grow up in both France and Australia and I was really lucky and fortunate to get to travel quite a bit of Europe with my parents from the age of like four, five, six, seven, eight. Um, and so I developed a lot of friends from different countries. I'm still really close to them today from Germany, Czech Republic, um, you know, all over the world, well, mainly Europe really, but that gave me from a, a young age uh, an insight onto how to kind of communicate with different people from all over the world that didn't really speak good English, how to, you know, adapt your nonverbal communication styles, things like that from a, from a really young age. And that's something I kind of carry through today. I work in an international company, so lots of different countries. Um, but yeah, I think that's from a non-perseverance or resilience side of sport and traveling, I'd, I'd say having that multicultural perspective and willingness to understand people and their stories. And Naomi, you grew up with canoe, canoe slalom as a sport. You know, your parents and your grandparents were involved with it. What first drew you in at a personal level, though, beyond, you know, their influence? Was there something that you really loved about being on the water at a young age? Yeah, I, um, I did not like the sport at first, and I felt like I was just being pushed into it. And, um, yeah, I had a few bad experiences at the start when I flipped and then I couldn't get back up. And I thought, I'm never doing this sport. It is terrifying. Um, but, I've, I mean, I started competing in 2008 I did my first nationals and that was really fun but still like I wasn't kind of drawn to it and I wasn't in love with the sport or or the river or anything like that and then um, my grandfather he had a club in Marseille in uh, the south of France and in 2012 I think he took me on a club tour with uh, a few other people my age and we went on these natural rivers in France and I actually spent last weekend at one of those natural rivers and um, it was just so much fun being able to you know just paddle freely with so many people my age and uh, have different coaching styles and be on, on that kind of camping tour where we would um, spend four days at the river camp and just paddle the whole day. And that was the club system in France that I think is, you know, such a great way to get kids into the sport. Um, and yeah, so I think I kind of realized then that there was so much about the sport that I really loved um, exploring the river, you know, being able to paddle with so many different people and kind of just, I guess that was the click of that, um, being able to express myself on the river and, you know, kind of find my style because we had a lot of days paddling there. And then from there, that year, I also went to New Zealand with a lot of young Australians. And that was my first like official international trip. And um, that was such a fun experience. And um, yeah, that's, that was one of my favorite trips to date as well. So 2012 was a big year of traveling for kayaking. And um, yeah, I think that was the year that I realized, wow, there's so many people you can meet, so many places you can paddle, so much to learn. And um, the year after that, I did my first junior um, under 23 championship. So I would say 2012 was the year that I kind of fell in love with the sport and realized like how fun it can be. And then it's not just my parents thing and it can also be my thing. You mentioned the under 23 worlds uh, championships in 2013. Uh, how did you perform there and what was that feeling like kind of competing on the global stage? 
Um, yeah, it was uh, really exciting. I, um, I felt ready for it because the year before I was eligible for the trials, um, but I had just missed the team. I think I was fourth. Uh, and I, from memory, I believe that I came 11th in the C1 women. And um, it was quite sad because being 10th, I would have qualified for the Youth Olympic Games. So it was um, a moment where I'm, I'm still kind of like, oh, what a shame. But um, it was a really, really fun Junior World Championships. The team was great. And um, still a lot of those people that were in that team are now in the senior team today. And we, we did all of the junior and under 23 worlds together. And so it was such a fun team to kind of get to know over the few over the years. And um, yeah, that was a, an exciting junior world championships to finally be able to um, compete for myself because I had watched a lot because my sister's three years older. So I had, I had been to all of her under all of her junior world championships beforehand. Um, and to finally be able to race was really exciting. What is your motivation like when you mentioned, you know, you finished 11th and just missed out on that youth Olympics. Is that a motivating factor for you or is it a bit of a, you know, a deterrent? How, how, do, how does that, I guess, instill, um, yeah, motivation in you? My mum, so my mum is my coach and um, she has a really great perspective on, um, I guess, results. She, I remember when I came 11th and I was so heartbroken um, and I actually didn't know then though that that was the qualifying for the Youth Olympic Games. So it was afterwards that I was even more heartbroken. Um, but she, you know, even still today, she says, yeah, okay, you were 11th, but this is that tiny mistake or that big mistake that you made um, and you would have been in the final. So it's really about that shifting in perspective to see, um, to see how much time you actually could have saved or how close you were in the final or how close you were from actually making it. And we use this performance analysis to put a comparison vote head to head and see where you lost your time. So um, it can be demoralizing on the results, even if you miss a final by 0.03 seconds or you have a tiny touch, which is a two second penalty. Um, but using those tools that actually show you where you lost your time is quite a motivating factor because you think, oh my gosh, it was that that big mistake and then I would have actually been third. So that's something I can avoid next time. Um, but yeah, so that's, that's hard, I guess, with kayaking and with my sport is there are so many variables that come into play that can push you out or that can um, make you lose two seconds here and there. This is the Passion and Perspective podcast brought to you by Sporting Chance Media. For three decades, Penrith and the surrounding community has turned to the Western Weekender. Whether it's the Weekender's highly revered print edition or its up-to-date news offerings through its digital presence, the Weekender truly is the heartbeat of Penrith. Visit westernweekender.com.au or find your copy every Friday. Looking from kind of 2012 and 2013 onwards, and as you said, you really immersed yourself into the competition side, did you find you, you thrived and you really developed uh, as a paddler during those times? Did you notice a, a substantial difference? Um, yes and no. I think um, I was a bit of a late bloomer to the paddling world. I, I guess my most pinnacle years um, where I saw the most development was 2014, 2015. So I guess two years later, 
Um, because I think, yeah, I, I did love the sport, but I was still um, maybe, I don't want to say a lazy athlete, but I still loved like the social aspect of the sport and I wasn't really injured. Well, I, I guess I wasn't really um, seizing the, the ownership of my training program just yet. So really being motivated to train hard. Um, I was kind of just following the structure and yep, doing all of the training camps and all of the training, but nothing more. Um, and then I guess in 2015 or 2014, just before when I started competing or, you know, getting closer to being in the, at the World Cup level, I did my first World Cup in 2015. Um, that's when I kind of really pushed it and, um, you know, started taking, I guess, more ownership of my training program and that, yeah, this is what I need to do to progress. Um, but yeah, I guess it, it's kind of hard. Sometimes you, it's only on results that you can see your progression. Um, and then when you don't get the results every single time, even if you do feel like you're progressing, that can little be a little bit of a, a roadblock in our sport. But um, yeah, it's, it's hard for me to pinpoint the years where I kind of shot up or progressed, um, but I'd have to go back and look at videos <laughs> to tell you an actual date. And you mentioned you competed in your first World Cup in 2015. Did you have ambitions at that point to really forge a career out of canoe slalom or again was it more this is fun but I'm going to kind of more enjoy it as a bit more of a hobby yeah I think it was still that mentality um but it was actually it was a great um experience and learning opportunity for me because I came second oh sorry no not second sixth I think in the qualifications or the semis um and that was quite a, a shock because I wasn't ready to see myself that high up. And then the final, I forget what I came, but that was such a, I guess an eye opener for me that if I, if I do a good run at my level, then I can actually make finals and I could potentially be a good athlete. And um, yeah, so that competition was so exciting um, on so many levels. And then after that 2016, I also made the um, the senior team, but there was no world championships. So yeah, I do think 2015 was the year kind of being exposed to the World Cup scene and the senior level scene um, that I do want to compete a lot more at that senior level. But there was, of course, that trivial um, aspect to it too, that I'm still young and this is so exciting and this is new and this is really fun. And a highlight for you, Naomi, was winning uh, the bronze medal in the under-23s in 2018 at the World Championships. How did that success, how does that differentiate from, I guess, the team success that you might have experienced before that as well? Yeah, um, I think the 2018 is such a special moment for me because it's my, um, my first under-23 uh, individual medal. And um, that competition itself was very challenging. Um, I got... Uh, I had a very hard qualification so I didn't do a, a conventional easy two runs then you get in I did um, a, a first run and I was disqualified because my boat was underweight and then I had to do a second run and I got a 50 second penalty so I was just I was um, out for the kayak which was a, a big shock because the under 23s was my level you know I should have been in the final um, and then in the C1 I, I missed my first race and then had to do the second run and then I I scraped through. So it was a very challenging qualification. Um, but I think the great thing about our sport is that even if you have the worst qualification, which is what I had, um, if you make it through, then it's a clean slate. You know, you start again and everyone's on the same playing field. 
And so I made the final in C1 and then it was, um, it was such a great event because it's, at, um, it's in this little town in Italy with an incredible natural course and there were so many people there supporting us and I had a couple of days off so I had some time to like, I guess, regenerate and just enjoy watching the race, which isn't something that we actually get to do and to be inspired by other athletes and to kind of feel the hype of the event. And um, yeah, in the final, I had a, a solid run and I came third. It was a bit of a waiting game and I had a touch that I didn't see. Um, but yeah, I managed to hold on to the third place. And I think that medal for me was like a, a really big reward because it had been such a challenging um, event and also, um, I guess, World Cup series before that. So in i think it's yeah it's i guess it's symbolic for like all the effort that you put in and like the perseverance that you have and compared to the um the team's medal it's completely different i mean we don't get to race in teams very often so we had one we have one race at the world championships every year every non-olympic year and um we don't really i mean we do train for it we do like um i guess it's also an individual race but you have to be aware of what the others in your team are doing um but that to win a medal at the um 2019 world champs was such a great moment for us and it was the start of the event and um it was so cool to share that with jess and Roz, who are the other two members of the team and then the rest of our support staff so i guess it's a completely different feeling because you're not used to racing in teams but yeah it's such um such an incredible moment to share as well because we're not used to sharing um a team success in a way that success at the 2019 World Champs in the C1 alongside Jess, your sister, what, what influence did she have on you specifically in competition? Yeah, were you able to kind of, I guess, follow her preparation or do you kind of stick to your own guns um, in, that, in that team event? Um, in the team event, I definitely don't stick to my own guns because you have to be aware of what the other two people are doing. So um yeah there's a lot of adaptation a lot of trying to hold it together trying to be um, aware of what the other athletes are doing because you're weaving down the course at the same time and there's a lot of I guess pressure because you're like oh my gosh like if I screw up my own race that's okay but I don't want to screw up their race um, and I don't want to be the one that messes it up for everyone so you know you're very there's a high level of focus and attention um but it's not just one person that influences the race like it's both of them, Jess and Roz, because um, it's not a two-person race. But yeah, I think it's, you're just so absorbed in the moment and it's a really cool feeling. And I wish we could do it a little bit more often because um, it's such a, a fun and rewarding event. And it's a really cool thing to watch as you see like three people weave their way down at the same time. Within your sport, Naomi, there's you know, the K1 and the C1, the, the canoe versus the kayak. Do you have a particular, I guess, attraction to, to one or the other? Um, and do you find you've got a strength in, in one or the other? Yeah, I, I'm stronger in C1. So that's the canoe that's I'm kneeling and I have one blade. Um, I think I'm stronger because I have a little bit more confidence. Um, I'm more competitive in that category. And so that's carried on more confidence and I guess more motivation. Um, but I also find it more enjoyable. You're sitting higher up on the water. Um, it's a, I don't know, there's so much you can, um, like you kind of feel like you're, you're flying and you're floating compared to the kayak. You're sitting a little bit lower, so you sink more easily, I would say, in a kayak. Um, but yeah, I think I'm more attracted to the sea one. Um, 
although it depends what course if I'm paddling on a really big course I definitely want two blades um, but if it's um, you know just at my home course in in Penrith or um, at an international competition then I, I do prefer C1 um, and I find it a little bit more um, exciting to train in because there's so much to learn still and um, so much to practice as well from like you know just balancing to um, you're switching to trying to paddle better on the right or trying to paddle better on the left. Um, yeah, so it's uh, definitely my um, my favorite category, but I um, I do also appreciate kayak. And Naomi, there's there's an element of of fear, right? Like you, you're talking about rapids, fast moving waters. Uh, how how do you overcome? I guess sitting at the top of a course and looking down at what is a pretty intense, yeah, amount of water gushing around the rapids are pretty intense. How do you overcome that? Yeah, um, I think it, it depends on which course and also which course design is is set. And um, when you say sitting at the top, it is, I guess, it's scarier when you see your competitor and the person before you go down and you're just staring at them. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it is hard. I think what's great about um, the, like a race, for example, is that you have a set course design so you have no choice but to follow that set course design if the course is challenging and the gates guide you in the in the right place they're not going to put a gate on top of a rock so you know that you're going to avoid all of the rocks um, but we also train on we train on artificial courses so on artificial courses um, there are less rocks there are less risks um, there are no like foot entrapments or anything um, I mean it depends which course I guess but the ones that we train on it, it's pretty it's pretty safe and it's not as boily or big as um, a natural river uh, so yeah I think from that perspective it's it's okay but when they do set challenging courses it's you don't want to ask too many questions or think about it too much because then especially in C1 when you have so many options I mean you could do it on the left on your right you could swap you could do a cross style it, um, it gets a bit overwhelming sometimes so I think just keeping it simple and focusing on the um your capabilities trusting yourself and just you know going with the flow is something that's really important when it seems a bit challenging or tricky or um you know not at all doable <laughs> and do you have a preference for the natural courses versus the man-made courses um it's i mean for convenience man-made is great because you can just keep doing laps and laps and laps um and we do uh all of our competitions on man-made courses. So that's what we're more accustomed to train on. Um, but I did spend last weekend in this um, this place in France called Bourg-Saint-Maurice, which is a natural river. And it's, I mean, it's there's nothing like it. The waves are huge, you paddle, it's in, it's in the Alps, you're surrounded by nature and it's such a freeing feeling. Um, and the water can be so fast as well. And there's a lot of fluctuation, so a lot of adaptation. Um, but I think it, it's really important to sometimes go back to the roots of our sport and paddle on natural rivers. And there are so many other skills that you develop as well, like being super tall, trying to you know see where you're going, really being able to, to push the current and control your boat down. Um, a natural river is a, a good skill to develop. So um, I'm happy to be going back to a bit of the natural rivers while I'm in um, France and Switzerland. You talked about going back to the roots of the sport, Naomi. How how important is it, do you think, for any paddler to kind of have a respect for also the past of the sport? You know, both your parents were Olympians. Do you think it's important that people have an understanding of kind of those who came before them in the sport? 
Uh, I think um, it, it's good too because there is so much to learn from everyone that came before you and um, I think it's if you're passionate about the sport and about the history then it, it's good to look back and kind of see how hard it was also for them because they had longer boats, they had um, harder courses, they had um, more penalties so instead of a two second time penalty they, they had five seconds. Um, so I think it, you know, there's definitely so much to learn from the people that came before us and whether that was, you know, in the 80s or in the early 2000s to 2005, um, there is, yeah, so much to take from that generation and um, whether it's relevant to some young people or not today, I think I would just encourage them to because um, it's such a, a cool thing to look back and see how much we've evolved, how far we've come, how much the styles have changed. But I think like if you're um, it's also really important to stay focused on today and how the top people are paddling and learn how to kind of mimic their style because that's also the future direction. So there, are, I guess there are part, thinkers of the past and thinkers of the future, but it's good to, um, to, to mold the two together and take a bit from both. And outside of your family, Naomi, is there anyone you look up to in the sport? Are there any kind of idols or people you see as kind of best practice and best standard? Yeah, I mean, there are so many people. I think in our sport, it's um, it's hard. You don't really, I mean, apart from a few, you don't really have one champion that always wins everything because it's such a, um, a challenging sport with so many variables. Um, it's hard to always win the race. Uh, I think, I mean, in my category and in the kayaks, I know you said outside the family, <laughs> but um, my sister, I just, you know, I can't go past her because she's such an incredible athlete on and off the water as well and I think off the water is such a, a huge asset because you can have true champions on the water but if they they don't walk the, the walk off the water um, it's not as inspiring but then I mean in our sport there are so many people whether they've won world champions on um, world championships or not they can be equally inspiring and you know sometimes it's just in their determination seeing young people from Japan, moved to Slovakia, moved their whole life to Slovakia to train there and to really chase their dream. Um, that's equally as inspiring as winning like two world championships. So um, there, I think that's the cool thing about our sport. There are so many people to learn from and to take from and to um, be motivated and inspired by. And that's the good thing about social media. Sometimes you can keep following what they're up to and um, how they're moving on and how they're also training in isolation. I got a lot of tips from um, from Great Britain or from other places in the world on how to, to train in a, in a kayak on land and, and to stay motivated and um, to keep evolving and training. You mentioned before the chat, Naomi, that one of the things you love about the sport is that you're working with the elements and that there's so many variables that keep the sport exciting and keep the athletes humble. Uh, how does that help with your perspective and I guess day-to-day -day life that kind of humbling nature that comes with the sport does it keep you pretty grounded yeah definitely I think um, you try to focus on the present and what you can control that's something that um, is applicable to every day in life um, no matter what situation but also I guess if you you know if you bounce back if you're rejected from something if things don't go well or they don't go your way um, you know, there's a lot of that feedback culture. Okay, so like, what did I do that was wrong? What can I control? What can I do better next time? Um, and it's not that, oh, well, it wasn't meant to be. You know, there's a lot of perseverance. There's a lot of trying again, getting 
back um, back into the kayak, emptying it out, getting back in. Um, but yeah, I think also that feedback culture is um, something that really carries me through in you know uni, in work, um, always trying to improve little things about yourself, about your performance, um, trying to have that high performance culture. So giving um, your best in whatever it is, but also knowing knowing when to save energy and um you know use i would say use the water features so not just going straight into things um but knowing when to save your energy and then um when to really be i guess performant and everything you talked about i guess that perseverance about getting back into the kayak when when things are going tough have you ever had that kind of feeling or thoughts you know about calling it a day as an athlete to say you know what it's been great but i i want to you know, move on to something else or is there always that kind of attraction to, to keep competing? Yeah, I mean, I mean, the first time I had that thought was when I was um, 10 <laughs> and I flipped in, a, I was paddling in Germany with uh, a good a, a friend that I'm still really close with today. Uh, so we were both 10 years old and I joined, joined her German club and um, we did a, a river run and I flipped and I didn't pull my deck to get out of the kayak. I just stayed upside down. And um, then the um, woman that was taking us down, she pulled me out and then she made me get back in and do a lot of rolling to practice my role. And I just found that horrible and petrifying and I was so angry and so over it. And so I actually stopped um, getting into a kayak for I think six to eight months after that. And I forgot how to roll and I just forgot everything about kayaking. Um, but then I eventually got back into it. Um, and yeah, I think as an athlete today, there are always those thoughts, especially, for example, like not being able to go to the Olympics or knowing there's only one spot. And is it worth training another four years to then because I'm, you know, I am against the best in the world right now. <laughs> um, yeah, so I think that's hard. But and, you know, there's also I'm quite career driven as well. So I've always wanted to test what it's like to focus on my profession and so that's what I'm doing during this isolation well COVID year because there are no competitions so I'm making the most of that but I have to say that working the nine to five life like I do miss my kayak so much and the weekends it's all I want to do and I'm watching the race so the Czech Republic they just had their Olympic selections well I'm so excited to get back on the start line as well so I think you know it's it's hard because it's a sport that you're just you're also passionate about so it will always be in my holidays it went even once I'm, I'm not an athlete I'll still have kayaking involved but for um, the next few years I still think that I'll be training and competing that's for sure. You referenced the Olympics there and obviously the very limited places for the sport what challenges does that present to you and, and how I guess deflating or motivating can that be? Um, I mean, I think it, it depends from which perspective you take it. Sometimes it is hard when you see that there are people your level that um, have a really strong shot. And so it is incredibly motivating when you are in the race. And um, I think had I, be, had I been in the race, I would have been extremely motivated to chase it. And that's also great competition for the other person, you know, being really close um, to the Olympic spot is such a cool race and it's such a cool feeling to be in. So I think that's a bit frustrating from that end. But um, yeah, I think also at the end of the day, if you're passionate about your sport and your country, you want the best person to go. And um, I'm definitely not there yet at all. So it's, um, 
it's motivating to see the best person go as well. But um, yeah, I hope one day I'll have the opportunity to, you know, have that um, competition experience where you're, you prepare for a games and you prepare for the selection because it is quite stressful though. That's one thing I wasn't envious of for all the other teammates. Go, like for example, for the boys going for Olympic selection, I was so stressed for them. And so I can't even imagine what it would be like for me, but you do, I think it, it's such an incredible process and to see someone go through and come out as the Olympic boat is, um, it's so rewarding, even just as a spectator. So I don't feel too sad about missing out on the process just yet. This is the Passion and Perspective podcast brought to you by Sporting Chance Media. For three decades, Penrith and the surrounding community has turned to the Western Weekender. Whether it's the Weekender's highly revered print edition or its up-to-date news offerings through its digital presence, the Weekender truly is the heartbeat of Penrith. Visit westernweekender.com.au or find your copy every Friday. And as we speak, Naomi, you're working in Switzerland for the global cosmetics company, Lakatan. Now, what does that work involve? So, well, I'll just get the pronunciation. Yes, Look, please do. <laughs> <laughs> My French. Um, but, <laughs> um, but it's, um, so I'm working as a, a digital learning content creator. I'm making um, their programs for all of their so corporate employees so if it's like onboarding if it's how to manage covid um supply chain just I, I guess like learning um like channels and programs for a lot of their employees around the world so it's been such a cool opportunity um it's only been three weeks <laughs> so i have um five and a half months to go and um, right now it's summer and i'll soon be entering um winter working in Switzerland. So I, um, I'll have to check back in. I'm not sure if I'll be in the same state of mind in those few months when it's cold and um, I'm stuck in the office, but it's, uh, it's a really cool experience to kind of see where, you know, that road could go down and to explore the working life. But I'm really lucky to be in a part of um, France and Switzerland where there are so many things to do in the outdoors as well. So um, it's a really cool place to explore and to still be able to paddle on the weekends and to have that connection to the sport because it's two hours away from a lot of things, two hours away from Ivrea where I did that 2018 under 23 world championships, two hours away from that natural river that I went to in 2012. So it's a very close spot to a lot of um, adventurous places. So it's really cool. And the experience of, of working overseas, do you think that's something that will form you know, part of your life forever is that kind of worldly and global connection? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I am a, a global citizen. Um, what's great about this company is that it's, um, it's from the south of France, so it's a, a global company, but it is from the south of France. So I do have that kind of um, family connection to it. It does feel like it's um, like a second home, which is really cool. Um, but yeah, I think uh, coming from a small sport, you really want to have that like um, sense of connection to whatever you're working in, that sense that you're working with a family or that you're working um, for something bigger than yourself. Um, that's really hard as an athlete when you stop your sport to then go into like auditing for a big company or, you know, just doing the nine till five and being a robot. I think it's really challenging. So 
um, for me, finding a company that's, um, you know, got great values or that's, uh, has that family sense or, you know, I think international will be the case for me because I do have that. It's a good opportunity having those two languages. Um, but it is hard not being, you know, close to your family or deciding which country you want to settle into when they're so far apart. Um, yeah, I think I'm, I'm just sticking to short-term decisions right now, nothing long-term because I'm not ready for those decisions. And you're also an athlete ambassador for the Mental Health Institute. How important is it for you to be, I guess, promoting the, the messages of positive mental health? Yeah, so I am um, with the AIS, they've partnered with the Black Dot um, Black Dog Institute. So it's called the Bite Back Program. And we deliver um, talks to kids in year seven to 10. Um, and so it's, it's, I think it's really important, especially during these times where there's a lot of uncertainty, there's a lot of, you know, doubt, complexity, I'm not sure about what the future entails. Uh, so what this does is it gives us an opportunity to just um, chat to athletes, um, sorry, not athletes, as athletes, chat to kids, um, and give them an outlet to kind of, you know, explore what sport is or just if they need to talk and um, it kind of establish different mechanisms. We do talk a lot about time management or um, resilience as well. So it's just such a cool, I'm, I'm honoured to be such, um, I'm honoured to be part of such a, a cool program. Um, but I do think it's so important, especially in the age of COVID and of social media. Um, there's a lot going on for people in that category. Um, so it's, it's hard. And if we can kind of just be an outlet for them to explore different avenues, explore their potential, chat about different options. Um, yeah, it's, it's really cool. And Naomi, growing up and, and now competing, I guess there's expectations and comparisons that come externally, given you know, the connection to your sister and, and your parents as well. How do you handle that pressure uh, as a person and as an athlete? Yeah, um, I guess a few years ago it was it was quite hard um, when I was still a little bit self-conscious of it uh, because, you know, I've, I mean, both of my, everyone in my family is an Olympian apart from me. Uh, my mum won bronze in Atlanta. Uh, my dad, well, he came fourth, but he was still multiple world champion. Um, and my sister, well, she's the, the goat of our sport. So, you know, you do come from a legacy and there's that expectation that you'll kind of you'll just be as good as them because it must be the pedigree. Um, but yes, I think it's, you know, it's, it's an asset, but it's also, um, well, it's also a challenge because you kind of feel that you have to, you know, match their level and it's a really bloody hard level to match. <laughs> um, but I have such, you know, a great support system. And even my mum is my coach. She's really ingrained to focus on your own potential and your own goals and your own standard and, you know, sometimes it's hard when you have a great race and you end up, you know, out of the final or something. And so you think, oh, well, that was a crap race. But if every race you progress, then that's all that matters. And it's also such a hard sport where you could have, you know, a great race and then you're knocked back 20 places the next run when you have some people that make it so effortless. Like, you know, my sister who just always is on, on top, on top, on top. But there's so much skill and also mental skill that goes into her preparation and into her um, performance as well. So I'm really lucky to actually be able to train with her and to be able to learn from her. And yeah, of course it, it's hard sometimes, but at the end of the day, it's also, you know, the, the greatest asset, I think, to be able to have all of those, um, you know, professionals and incredible, um, 
I guess, athletes and champions so close to me and there's so much to take from from um, every member of my family. But yeah, I think it is hard when you think, oh, wow, imagine if I came 20th and people thought that was incredible because they have no idea about the sport and everything. But yeah, no, it, it's, I guess it's, it's hard, but focusing on your own sports, um, setting your own goals and also having something um, outside, which is outside of the sport has always been so important for me. So having a career, having um, education, having um, different initiatives, uh, that's something that's always helped me kind of balance the two. I've never really just been a full athlete um, and had my whole life dedicated to that sport because I, I know how turbulent it is. I know how hard it is to be consistent and to stay number one and to be a professional, um, I guess, sponsored athlete at that level where you can make a living from it. Um, so yeah, I think that's always helped me kind of keep my identity and keep my purpose is having, um, you know, different things outside of the sport as well. You aptly described your sister Jess as the goat, the, the greatest of all time uh, in your sport. And she's one of many pioneers in women's sport, really paving the way. How much does it excite you, Naomi, seeing the rise of female athletes across the world in all different sports? Yeah, I think it's um, incredibly exciting and incre incredibly motivating as well to have um, so many young girls growing up with incredible idols um, that are so accessible. Um, you know, I remember the the most accessible one for me was Susie O'Neill. I had the Barbie doll. and <laughs> um, But, you know, I think I was really lucky to grow up with my mum who was in the sport as an athlete. So I always had a, a vision of, of female athletes and what they're capable of. I never really had that notion that, oh no, it's, it's not achievable because it was a girl, because you're a girl. Um, but for young girls these days, I mean, even seeing on magazine covers so many um, athletes and not just models as well is a, is a huge step. Um, but yeah, I think having so many different um, women, female sports in the Olympics as well, um, and having gender equality. So for example, for our sport, we now have gender equality um, for the Tokyo 2021 Olympic Games. We have C1 as well. And previously it was just um, C1 men, C2 men, kayak men, K1 women. Uh, so not very equal in terms of gender balance. Uh, so yeah, I think there's so much progress that's been made to help uh, women kind of uh, see what is achievable and not even question whether or not it's achievable they just you know you don't even have to think about it it's just an open field to go discover what you want go play what you want um and have that outlet that physical outlet as well and um yeah there are so many programs as well in australia to kind of foster that and support women um at an amateur grassroots level and also at a professional level today so it's a it's a great country to be playing female sport in that's for sure and Naomi, it's been an incredibly unique journey for you for the you know, past five years, if not more, do you often take time to reflect on that journey you know, and consider the ups and downs that you've had over that time? Definitely. I think, um, I mean, I had a lot of time to reflect in those isolation periods because I would just be scrolling through my, um, my memories on my phone and thinking, oh my gosh, wow, that was insane. That was incredible. Um, and, you know, I think sometimes you don't really get time to sit and reflect when you're always on the move. Uh, so for example, last year, I thought it was quite an average year. Um, you know, nothing really impressive 
sporting wise, but I look back, well, I looked back in, you know, um, April, May, and I just thought, wow, that was actually an incredible year. I should have given myself more credit. Um, so it is good to have those moments of reflection and, you know, to see how far you've come and to congratulate yourself on those small little milestones or those big, um, uh, you know, steps and not to just kind of downplay it, which is what we can do and what I can do because we come from such a humbling sport. Um, so not to downplay it and think, oh yeah, well it's, it's luck or it's, you know, this happened and yeah, it's not a big deal. Um, but to actually realize that it is great and to keep motivating yourself and um, yeah, I guess supporting yourself on, on your journey, um, but also taking the time to reflect and not just on, you know, good things that happened or like huge things that happened, but those little moments or those little trips or things like that. It's, um, it's definitely motivating and it kept me really inspired during those hard months in isolation to um, yeah, keep training or keep setting goals or keep being inspired to, you know, travel or achieve different things. And do you believe in life that as people we, we find ourselves or that we create ourselves in terms of, do you think that the path is already laid out for us or that every decision we make as people kind of shapes where our life goes? Well, I think to some respect, the path is laid out to us because, you know, in terms of, um, you know, where you're born, it does say a lot about what you can achieve in terms of, you know, um, society, I think. So I'm incredibly lucky to have been born into a family that that travels or that's been able to support me from from day one. So that has enabled me to do so much that I wouldn't have been able to do had I been born in a, in a different situation. So um, to some extent, yes, the path is definitely laid out from day one, but it's your, it's your decision to kind of create where that path leads and, and um, you know, what route it chooses to go down or what terrain it is. Um, so yeah, I think every decision can have um, a different set of uh, results and it's, it's really important to kind of um, realize that you can create where you want to go or you can create your future and you can create opportunities for yourself and that they are out there but you need to be able to identify them and have a little bit of an entrepreneurial mindset sometimes um, but I think yeah I was definitely lucky to be um, I guess also raised in Australia where there's so much opportunity so many possibilities um, yeah I think I'm, I'm very fortunate but it also takes a, a bit of um you know, um, grit as well and um, believing in yourself to chase those opportunities and to take risks and to, especially while you're young and you have no attachments or, you know, not, not much to lose, so. And Naomi, what advice would you have for others, you know, of a similar age, kind of chasing their passion, um, dedicating themselves to something? What, what advice would you pass on? Um, I guess to always persevere and to um, never be too discouraged. Um, but I think the most important thing is to really surround yourself by, um, with people that um, inspire you, people that hold you accountable, people that push you, people that um, can really help you get there. Because if you do it alone, it's, it's, it's really hard. Um, it's not as exciting. And it's hard to, to share the success. So if you're if you're with a team, whether that's friends, you know, I think my friends are my um my rock as well. They really support me. They inspire me. They they um keep me motivated as well. So 
your, I guess, yeah, finding a, a good tribe that can um, help carry you through the journey and keep you inspired and accountable is, is super important. And finally, Naomi, what does the next kind of 12 months have on offer for you? Obviously, there's a few unknowns in, in the world we're in at the moment. You, you've got the next six months in Switzerland, but what are the kind of the projects that excite you the most over the next little while? Um, so I, I guess seeing how this professional career unfolds a little bit um, and yeah, it, it's really hard to project yourself during um, these times. So I, I'm excited to have a little bit of stability and um, I guess security for the next six months. Um, but then, so I'm hopefully going back to Australia in January. I mean, we'll see what the conditions are like, but then um, I'm looking forward to yeah, to finishing my master's, to um, watching, hopefully, my sister in the Olympics and all of my friends in the Olympics. We'll see how that plays out. But I, yeah, I'm focusing on the next six months for now and seeing where my professional career takes me, how I balance sport. And um, yeah, there'll be a lot of natural rivers involved and maybe not a lot of traveling considering the circumstances. But yeah, I think it's nice to kind of live in the moment and be content with where I'm at right now and not project myself too far forward in the future. Naomi, a huge thanks for being a part of the Passion and Perspective podcast and sharing your incredible story. Wishing you all the best. Thank you so much for having me and I hope it wasn't too noisy in the background early this morning. Thanks for listening to the Passion and Perspective podcast brought to you by Sporting Chance Media and proudly presented by The Western Weekender.